to experience the full range of human emotion, full range of human emotion, uh, that we might be faithful to God's law as we await our Messiah. And now over the next few weeks, we're going to take an emotion each week from a psalm each week to see how this larger theme is true. And this week, we begin with a fun little topic of anger, looking at Psalm 79. So let's read Psalm 79. I'll start in verse 1, read the the whole psalm with this theme of, of anger in your mind and your heart as we do so. Psalm 79, a psalm of Asaph. O God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the heavens for food, the flesh of your faithful to the beasts of the earth. They have poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. We have become a taunt to our neighbors, mocked and derided by those around us. How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your anger on the nations that do not know you, and on the kingdoms that do not call upon your name. For they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his habitation. Do not remember against us our former iniquities. Let your compassion come speedily to meet us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name, Deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Let the avenging of the outpoured blood of your servants be known among the nations before our eyes. Let the groans of the prisoners come before you. According to your great power, preserve those doomed to die. Return sevenfold into the lap of our neighbors, the taunts with which they have taunted you, O Lord. But we, your people... The sheep of your pasture will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. I stand now together as we ready our hearts to reflect on this section of God's word and sing our Let's pray together. Father, what great words we have just sung about how we can bring our thirsts to you and you will quench them. And you are, Lord, the only one who can satisfy our souls. And yet, Lord, we find that while you are only hope, you are <laughs> hope enough. Hope enough to satisfy all our longings, all our desires, all find fulfillment when we come to you. And so, Lord, we ask now that you would come by the power of your Spirit, speaking to us through your word, to bring rest and satisfaction to our souls. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends, please be seated. Friends, it's a a gift to be able to spend these moments together in in the Word, and we're praying that it will be helpful to us, that we'll hear from His Spirit as He speaks through His Word, and that we'll leave here knowing more of His grace toward us. But I want to begin, in a sense, by um, raising the temperature a little and asking you, what is it that makes you angry? What makes you angry? Think about that for a second. When were you last angry? angry? What are those things that tend to make you angry? Sometimes we find we get angry, and disproportionately so, with that, the small things in life. When Wi-Fi is slow, 
um, when someone cuts in line at the store, when the driver in front of you meanders because they're looking at their phone, driving you crazy, um, when you buy a chocolate chip cookie, and it turns out to be oatmeal raisin. <laughs> Anger, right? Uh, when you've been avoiding the score or the end to your favorite show and someone spoils it before you make it home, these small things. Uh, you know, we spend a lot of time frustrated and angry about these small things. Uh, sometimes, though, our, our anger is really sparked or fueled by, by bigger things, by more important things. Perhaps a, a friend who feels um, just really let you down. Or... A spouse who's been really unkind and just unjustifiably so. Perhaps you get angry with politics and the game it seems to have become. Uh, CNN, does that make you angry? Fox News, does that make you angry? Do they both make you angry? Uh, Sometimes it's not the small things or the bigger things, but sometimes we get angry about those things that, that we should get angry about, those things that are undeniably wrong. I was angry about the KKK march in Charlottesville. I'm angry about that. Uh, Sometimes we're angry about the abortion of the the unborn. We watch the news, we hear of ISIS, we think of terrorism here and across the world, and we feel a sense of anger. What is it that makes you angry? What makes your blood start to boil? When was the last time you can remember being angry? What are you perhaps even angry about this morning. Well, as are more serious examples, not oatmeal cookies, but the KKK, as these more serious examples show us, anger isn't in and of itself always wrong. Anger isn't in and of itself a sin. Indeed, there are times we should be angry. There are times the Lord is angry and there's times that we should be angry. But even in those times, we need to be careful lest we do more harm. In your anger, do not sin, the scriptures say. And we need to be careful with this powerful emotion. Uh, Psalm 79 certainly doesn't lay out for us a kind of step-by-step formula, a kind of simple process for, for dealing with our anger. But it is profoundly helpful. Why? Because it shows us how the psalmist dealt with his anger. And in so doing, it sheds light on how God would have us deal with ours. A biblical example of how to work through, how to process this powerful emotion. The Psalms equip us, we've said, to experience the full range of human emotions. And this Psalm equips us to experience anger that we might still be faithful to God's law as we wait upon Jesus to return. And as I reflected on this text this week, I saw really four things that I felt I needed to learn. And I I share them with you in the hope that they'll be helpful to you as you wrestle with anger of your own. So let's look at these four things together. Uh, The first thing I want us to see is that we feel anger, typically we feel anger. Why? Well, we feel it when we believe we've been wronged. That's point one. We feel anger when we believe we've been wronged. Uh, Psalm 79 is a psalm of lament. Remember the genres, the types of psalm we spoke about last week? Well, this one is a psalm of lament. It means that the psalmist is uh, pointing out, drawing attention to all that's wrong in the world and calling upon God to come and do something about it. Come and do something about the state of our world. The context for this psalm specifically is the destruction of the temple uh, in Jerusalem. Israel's spiritual home, their place of of 
worship. Well, in around 586 BC, the Babylonians came and brought the temple to ashes along with much of Jerusalem. The psalmist feels he has been wronged, and so the psalm opens with a series of complaints. Look at verses 1 through 4. First, in verse 1, he complains that the Babylonians have come and they have destroyed the temple. See, defiled your temple, laid Jerusalem in ruins. In verses 2 and 3, he talks about how in the process, many have died painful, bloody, gruesome deaths. And then in verse 4, you see his complaint there that everyone is laughing at God's people for the state that they now find themselves in. The psalmist is angry. Why is he angry? Because he believes that he and his people have been wronged. And this is what normally triggers our feelings of anger as well. That's normally what happens in us in order for us to become angry. We feel that we've been wronged. The small things, they shouldn't cut in front of us in line at the store, right? The slightly bigger things, a spouse shouldn't speak harshly in such unjustified tones. The ugliest things things of all, we ought not have the KKK in our nation today. We feel that these things are wrong. We sense that something isn't right. We have a sense of injustice and anger begins to boil. The belief that we've been wronged is the soil in which anger grows. And so in that sense, you see how anger is really a secondary emotion. Secondary in that it arises in response to something else in response to a real or even just perceived injustice. And so it's helpful for us not so much to look at the anger itself, but to try and look underneath the anger to understand what's feeling it. But to do that, we need to see point two. Point one, we feel angry when we believe we've been wronged. But point two, allow me the the double negative, uh, we don't need to pretend that we're not angry. A point that's especially important if you describe yourself as a Christian this morning. We don't need to pretend that we're not angry or positively. We can be honest about the fact that we get angry. Doesn't the psalmist give us an example of that? It almost feels a little bit awkward to read. Look at, look at verse 6. He asks God to pour out divine anger on their enemies. Or verse 10. See it there? He calls for revenge on those who've been taunting the nations. The avenging of the outpoured blood. At verse 12, he longs for wrath to fall sevenfold into the laps of his oppressors. What do you make of that language? Have you ever prayed like that? The psalmist doesn't do any, he doesn't even attempt to hide his anger. He certainly doesn't dress it up in some sort of theological jargon. He just pours all of his anger out before his God. And one of the reasons, perhaps, that so many of us find it so difficult to deal with our anger is that we just have a hard time admitting that we get angry. Nobody wants to think of themselves as an angry person. And this is perhaps particularly true for Christians who maybe feel like anger is an immature or or spiritually weak emotion. Now, Of course, I want to add some nuance here, right? That 
Some anger is righteous. It is right to be appalled at injustice. And it is right to pursue justice here on earth, in our lives, even in the courts. God is pleased when his will happens on earth as it is in heaven. But also, some anger isn't so righteous. Uh, We get angry when we shouldn't get angry, or we get disproportionately angry at small things. But either way... Whether your anger is righteous or unrighteous, whether it's healthy or unhealthy, whether it's good or whether it's sin, we need to deal with it. We can't just pretend like we're not feeling it. We can't just deny that we are experiencing these emotions because internalized anger putrefies. It builds and it builds in us, and then it comes out one way or another. Sometimes it comes out and poisons us. It poisons our own happiness. It poisons our very bodies. We get physically sick, tense sort of feeling. It poisons us and just sort of makes us irritable or or depressed. If it doesn't come out, it doesn't ooze out and impact us, then I guarantee you it oozes out by poisoning others, poisoning your relationship with others. If you have anger that you're not dealing with, It will come out in the way that you you interact with others. And angry people are very hard to live with. Whether they have a fierce bark or just a kind of simmering displeasure that they make sure everybody knows about. If you're not dealing with your anger correctly, you'll do great harm to your loved ones. You may be doing great harm to your loved ones now. Whatever the cause of our anger whether it's righteous, whether it's sinful, whether it's a mix of both, we need to learn to take it to God. We need to admit that we're angry and take it to God. Have you ever, have you ever, anyone ever prayed like the psalmist does? So unsanitized, so honest, lets it all hang out. Well, bringing our anger to God like this has a way of um, kind of bursting that angry bubble Uh, it lances the boil that will otherwise become infected. Because bringing our anger into God's presence is a way of putting it in a different perspective that really helps us to begin to work through it. So, it takes us to our third point. How do we do this? How do we bring our anger to God? First, remember that we feel anger because we believe we've been wrong. Second, we don't need to pretend we're not angry, but Third, when we do bring our anger to God, we need to remember um, to seek forgiveness for our own contribution. Part three, we need to seek forgiveness for our own contribution. And again, the psalmist does this. After pouring out very angry words, he's also quick to self-reflect upon his role in his current situation. So verse five begins to hint at it. If you see it there, he recognizes how long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? He recognizes that the current predicament they are in is partly his fault. Uh, the current predicament is partly the result of God's anger against Israel for being so unbelievably unfaithful to their God. Psalm 78, just one psalm back, you see it there, is 72 verses that lays out how Israel's been unfaithful, how Israel has broken the covenant, how they have sinned again and again and again. And now the psalmist recognizes that the situation they now finds themselves in is partly a result of God's anger against them for what they have done. 
This theme is then developed more explicitly in verses 8 and 9, if you see it there. Do you remember again? Don't, do not remember against us our former iniquities, he says. He asks God to forget their sins. Verse 9, more explicitly still, atone for our sins, he says. Deliver us and atone for our sins. In other words, he's recognizing and rightly recognizing the wrongdoing of the Babylonians. But he's also recognizing his own wrongdoing as well. As he reflects upon his situation, he realizes that he and the people bear some responsibility for where they find themselves, that the mess they're in is partly of their own making. And when we get angry, it's important for us to stop and try and do the same. See, anger is a very, uh, call it an animating emotion. There's a sense in which it feels good to be angry. And uh, it gets you going. It gets you moving. It's not like depression which will lay you low. Anger gets you on the move. and gets you animated. gets you vibrant. gets you want to do some stuff. And it's very quick to get carried away with it. It's very easy to get carried away with it. And so it's important for us to be able to stop, press pause, and ask where we might be at fault. Yes, we've said already, there are some situations in which our anger is, is wholly righteous. But you know, that's not most of my anger. Most of my anger, um, even if it begins righteous, quickly becomes unrighteous. You know, in your anger, do not sin. I find it hard to be angry for long without sinning. And in the normal like, day-to-day routine of life, in the normal relational interactions, the normal, you know, normalcy of life, when there's conflict, when there's bitterness, when there's anger, there's nearly always enough blame to go around. There's nearly always enough blame to go around. And we need to, we need to be able to, to recognize this, to be able to stop and consider the things that we've done, consider how we've helped make the mess that we now find ourselves in. And what do we do after that? Well, we do what the psalmist does. We seek forgiveness. Forgiveness from God and forgiveness for who, again, for, from whoever we've wronged. Now, what if you say, well, okay, I've done that, and this is like 10% my fault, and like 90% their fault, <laughs> okay? What, what do you do then, right? <laughs> and we say, well, you know, your percentage is probably not accurate, okay? Uh, most marital counseling begins with both spouses saying it's 10% their fault and 90% the other fault, okay? Um, your percentages are probably wrong, but even let me give it to you. Let me give you your only 10% to blame. Jesus says, worry about your own eye before you worry about your brother's. Right? Um, Christians, the gospel teaches us that we should be on the front foot when it comes to seeking forgiveness and reconciliation. As Jesus took the initiative to reach out to us, though he had done 0%, how much more can we take the initiative to reach out to others? We've contributed a massive 10. Paul puts it this way. He says, as far as it is possible with you, and I love that phrase because he's saying, it may not be possible, right? But as far as it's possible with you, live peaceably with all. Live peaceably with all. Deal with your 10%. And you'll be amazed at how that process, that process of humbling yourself and seeking forgiveness, seeking reconciliation, how that diffuses your own anger. And not just your own anger, but the anger of the one you're in conflict with too. We find that the weeds of anger don't grow well in a humble heart. 
humility also covers a multitude of sins. And when we humble ourselves, we find, seeking forgiveness for our own contribution, that our anger just deflates and our situation is helped as well. Well, you say, what if it is one of the situations where it is 0%, right? Or what if I've sought forgiveness but I still feel angry? What do I do then? Well, that takes us to our our fourth point. Number one, we feel anger when we believe we've been wronged. Two, we don't need to pretend we're not angry. Three, we need to seek forgiveness for our own contribution. And fourth, and I think most importantly in this text and the one I want to spend most time on this morning, when we're angry, we also need to leave room for God to work. We need to leave room for God to work. What do I mean by this? Well, again, let's look at the psalmist example. Isn't it interesting that he doesn't uh, list a big, you know, a big list of things that he's going to do to the Babylonians? He hasn't been stewing on this and like coming up with like great comebacks and great plans for how they're going to respond to the Babylonians. Instead, what does the psalmist do? He looks to God. Verse 6, he asks God to work on his behalf. Verse 9, a very clear prayer asking God to come and help. See, is there help us, O God of our salvation? Verse 12, he doesn't say what he's going to do in response. He asks God to come in vengeance. He's looking to his God. And together, these requests form a cry for justice. Justice for the victim and justice for the oppressor as well. Justice for victim, justice for perpetrator. But the key point is this. The psalmist doesn't take matters into his own hands. He trusts God to work. He doesn't make plans of his own. He leaves room for God to act. And you see what the result of this trust is? What does this trust do to him? By the time we get to verse 13, see how the psalm ends? Look at it there. Verse 13. But we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. See how trust leads him to praise. Like the entire book, remember we said the entire book of Psalms goes from lament to praise. So this psalm begins with lament but ends with praise. And it is trust in God. Nothing he can see, nothing he can be sure of, no intentions of his own. It is trust in God that turns his lament to praise. And so when we're angry, what are you angry about? What do you get angry about? What are you angry about this morning? Don't make yourself the judge. Don't make yourself the executioner. Leave room for God to work. The New Testament counterpart to this passage could be Romans 12. If you want to flick there, there's a couple of beautiful verses in that book. Romans 12, um, page 948 of your pew Bible. First of all, in verse 19, see what Paul says there? He starts by saying beloved. I love it when Paul starts verse away. Beloved, loved ones, those I care about, those who I'm giving my life for in ministry, those who are more important to me than I am to myself. Beloved ones, never avenge yourselves. Never avenge yourself. When you've been wronged, don't come up with a plan for how you're going to get back in your personal life, in your work life, in any part of your life. Never avenge yourself. 
But how powerful are these words? Leave it to the wrath of God. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Aren't those scary words? Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. You are not the judge. You are not the executioner, says the Lord. Vengeance is mine. That's my job. And I will repay. So what should you do instead? Look at verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Isn't that beautiful? He's saying, yes, there's injustice, but that's my job. You don't be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. And the point is, again, we're not saying that there aren't times we should work for justice in our own lives. Of course, that's a profoundly important thing. But that there are many things in our lives that that we just don't have that level of control over. And we need to leave space, leave room for God to work, to understand that this morning sitting right where you're sitting right now God sees you he sees you he doesn't see me standing up here he, well he does see me standing up here but he doesn't just see me standing up he sees you and, uh, well there's no one in pew one typical Presbyterian church in pew two he sees you three he sees you I can keep on going he sees you he sees you in the pew that you're in this morning and he sees your anger and he sees your sorrow and he sees your pain And he cares about it. Psalm 56 verse 8. The psalmist says to the Lord. Isn't this beautiful? You have kept count of my tossings. You have put my tears in your bottle. You have made note of them. Isn't that beautiful? Are they not in your book? Um, Are there situations you're angry about? You've experienced pain over yourself for a little bit. How many tears have you wept over them? How many tears have you cried because of this situation in your life? Countless. You don't know. Well, God does know. God has been counting them. He's been storing them up in his bottle because he cares about you. And he has written them down in his book. Isn't that that beautiful? That he has recorded every evil and every injustice that ever was, ever is, or ever will be. And we can count on him to address them. We can, account, we can count on him to make these injustices right. Every single one of them. There's nothing in your life that will go unaccounted for. How can we be so sure? Let me give you an example from my own life. Um, who's ready to raise the level of vulnerability a little bit? Okay. So I've shared from this pulpit before that I was sexually abused as a teenager. Uh, 14, 15 year old, uh, sexually abused by a high school teacher. And you know, for a while I thought I'd dealt with it. And then Jesus has taught me recently that I'm still dealing. Because it turns out there are some things in life you never move on from. Just in the light of the gospel, you learn to carry them differently. And looking more deeply into these experiences is actually what brought about the hard season in my life at the beginning of the year when I asked you to pray for me with my anxiety and depression and fear and this congregation (laughs) you guys you've been a model in how to love your pastor Uh, a beautiful thing for me to have experienced well as Jesus led me through this process um, I stopped holding it at arm's length and I this experience I stopped holding it at arm's length and I started to feel and you know for the first time I was 
angry with my abuser. And when I say angry, I was mad as hell. And that anger, that anger was well placed. I think God agrees. It is righteous to say that I was wronged. It's holy to say these things should never have been. If you're saying that kind of thing this morning, then hear me. Your anger echoes the divine. God can be angry too. But I'm learning to leave room for God to work. I'm learning to give my anger to God. And you know what? He's given an answer that fits. That all of these wrongs will be made right in hell or at the cross. What do I mean by that? All of these wrongs, all that's happened to me, could I hope for more than hell for my abuser? You know, honestly, I answer no. Honestly, I answer no. If that's where he meets justice, I have no more anger to bestow. Well, then I ask myself, um, what if he came to faith? What if he had a deathbed conversion of his own? Is there not injustice there if heaven is now his home? So I took this question to Jesus and I prayed about it and I felt him smile and answer no. There's no injustice there. Why? Because his hands speak of a cross and speak of payment for sin enough to cover all my failures and enough for my abuser. Yes, even enough for him. That's the good news of the gospel, that there is no sin that puts you beyond the reach of the grace of God. And so, all my abuser's sin is paid for. By Jesus or by himself. None of it is unaccounted for. It's all covered in hell or at the cross. So I'm learning, learning, in process to give my anger to God because eternity is his to judge eternity is his to judge I'm learning to leave room for God to work and you know I must admit it's very freeing it's very freeing because as I'm giving my anger to God I feel like he's giving me something else in return as I have experienced um Christ sharing in my suffering, I've begun, I think, to, ex- to, to experience what it means to share in, in his emotions too. So my anger is being somewhat replaced or now accompanied by, by a sense of compassion. You know, I, w- I, I may wish my story had been different, but I wish the same for my abuser too. What kind of life did he lead that brought him to the place that these are the kind of things that he would do? Compassion accompanies the anger. I may wish my story had been different, but I wish the same for him as well. And so, uh, yeah, Romans twelve twenty one. I don't want to be overcome by evil. I want to come o- overcome evil with good. Trusting our anger to God, his perfect justice in hell or at the cross, frees us to love others, frees us to live by grace. And as we do this, as we learn to trust these experiences to God, we find, I found, we do find that our lament turns into praise. Our lament turns into praise. And so, let me ask you, what are you angry about this morning? What are you angry about? Small thing, bigger thing, 
the most important things of all. You can trust your anger to God. And you know, you can trust it to him even if it's directed at him. Maybe what, you know, maybe what you're angry about this morning is you're angry with God. You know he is big enough to take that. You know? He is big enough to take that. You can give him the full, honest onslaught of your heart and it will not destroy some fragile divine ego. He is big enough to take it and he loves you enough to receive your honest soul. So whatever you're angry about, even if you're angry with him, you can bring that to him today. If you're struggling with this, let me give you a next step. Some homework. You ready? Um, Take your anger and write a modern psalm. Use this psalm as your model, perhaps. Uh, first, uh, don't, first, take it to the Lord and, and talk about how you've been wronged, like the psalmist does. Point one, talk about how you've been wronged. Point two, don't pretend you're not angry. Pour it out before our Lord. Point three, if necessary, and, and only if necessary, ask forgiveness for any contribution of your own. Then, point four, leave room for God to work. Trust him. Do you trust him? to write a better ending to your life than you could ever compose. Trust him to do that. And maybe when you're ready, share your psalm with someone you trust. Share it with a friend. Share it with someone in a community group. Share it with one of the staff members here at church. Work through this anger in the context of community and see what the Lord does with you in the process because your story may involve lament but it can still end in praise. We trust our God to work because he's the only one who gives us grace. That's the sermon for the morning. Point one, we feel anger when we believe we've been wronged. Point two, we don't need to pretend we're not angry. Point three, we need to seek forgiveness for how we've contributed. Point four, we need to leave room for God to work. The Psalms equip us to experience the full range of human emotion, including anger, that we might be faithful to God's laws. We await his Messiah. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, anger is um, a powerful experience, a powerful emotion, and, and one that we sometimes do just have a hard time admitting we struggle with, because none of us want to be thought of or to think of ourselves as, as angry people, and yet, Lord, we recognize, we do recognize that anger is a, a part of all of our lives. And so, Lord, we, we pray that you would help us to be thoughtful about this, to consider how we feel it is we've been wronged, not to pretend we're, we're not angry, but to Be honest and seek forgiveness for where we've contributed. But finally, and and focally, Lord, to leave room for you to work. You are the one who knows all things. You are the one whose justice is perfect. You are the one who can alone uh, marry justice and and love. And so, Father, we, we don't trust ourselves to be judge and executioner. We trust you. And we trust you, and we trust you now and for eternity. So... These things we lift up in the name of Jesus, the one whose cross act has shown us you care about justice and shown us you care about love. We trust him and trust you. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Friends, we're going to stand now, and if you want to...